please stand to your feet. I wonder if anyone in the room is looking for advancement, progress, a raise? Oh, okay. Advancement is also a raise. Uh, you don't really get a raise unless you get more responsibility, usually. Um, so everyone's looking for it. Let me ask that one more time. How many in the room are looking for advancement? Okay. All right, good. Well, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today in uh, the chapter of Genesis that we're in, Genesis chapter 41. I'm super excited. I just love this text. I love this series that we're in. Every Sunday I, I drive home and I think, I think that was my favorite. I think that was my favorite Sunday. And then it just keeps getting better. Well, today is a good day to renew my mind, to encourage my soul, to align with truth, and to walk in faith. I am ready to awaken and develop purpose. Anyone else? All right. Well, we're in a series called Building Blocks, where we're talking about the life of Joseph, talking about building a life of character, um, not just character-focused, but building a family, building a career, building leadership within us, and doing it God's way. And so today I want to take us to Genesis chapter 41. Last week we talked about Genesis 40. Today, Genesis 41, verses 1 through 7. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat. <laughs> and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt, or skinny and malnourished, ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke from his dream. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. I'm seeing a trend here that being plump is good. Can I get an amen from somebody? I'm, I'm kidding. In this scenario, for sure, seven grains of head came up in one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted or scorched by the east wind, sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. God, that your people have chosen to gather in this place today to hear from you, to hear from your word, to let your word come alive in our heart. God, I ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing in our own life. God, let this word speak to me, not to my neighbor, not to my parent, not to my child, to me. God, let your word come alive in me today. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen. Before you sit down, why don't you just high-five somebody, tell them it's been a long time, and then you may be seated.
Well, this is our, I think this is part six of our series, Building Blocks. And uh, we've had ourselves a time. It's been fun. Um, and I hate repeating myself, but I feel like over the past six weeks, we've done some repetition telling the backstory of Joseph and getting us where we all need to get for the current day's sermon. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and repeat a little bit because after all, any teachers in the room? Are there any teachers in the room? A few? Okay, yeah. Any, any used to be teachers or hope to be teachers? Okay, good. So a lot of teachers, then you will definitely amen me when I say to you that we learn through repetition. Amen. How many times have you told your kids, no, you can't use that pen or that pencil. You can't go to the bathroom during this instruction. And so you have to say valuable things over and over and over because we learn through repetition. And sometimes I feel like I say things too much. But the truth is, it's a preacher's pride. It's a preacher's fantasy to believe that he could preach one good sermon and everybody's going to get it the first time. I don't know any preacher on earth that could just preach that one sermon and bam, everyone remembers it. So I, I have to repeat a few things because we need to hear it again and again and again and again and again. Not you, your neighbor does. You got it, but your neighbor needs to hear it again and again. So we're going to just repeat really quick the history of Joseph. And I've created a clever little handout. If you have your handout. If you need a handout, go ahead and raise your hand. It's two-sided front and back. I've made it so that we can easily follow along. Anyone need a handout? Just my son? Oh, nope, not just a couple more. Good. You definitely want this handout. On the handout, the left side, the life of Joseph. I'm not going to describe this. I'm just going to read it, just kind of remind you of where Joseph has come from. Now, we're in chapter 41, but if you were to back up a few chapters in chapter 37, you would see that Joseph was favored by his dad. Anyone remember the sermon about the coat of many colors? Yeah, okay, then I won't re-preach it right now. Uh, then Joseph had a dream that his family was going to bow down to him. Do you remember that conversation? He Thought his brothers weren't going to bow down, and then mom and dad were going to bow down to him. And dad was like, well, hold up, son. This is getting a little too real. And Joseph was just a bit naive. I mean, he was only 17. So 17-year-olds are going to say things that they think are so wise. By the way, if you're 17, you are wise. You have the Holy Spirit within you. I don't want to minimize your age. I will not look down on you because of your age. And that's not where this comment is coming from. But can I just get a witness in the room that historically, 17-year-olds change a lot between 17 and 30. You grow a lot. You become a new person. You have new philosophies and new thoughts. I mean, I'm definitely not the same person that I was at 17. But Joseph went around bragging about his dreams and that led to the third thing. He was hated by his brothers. His brothers threw him into a pit, was going to tell dad that he got eaten and he died. But they decided to pull him out of the pit and then sell him to Midianite traders, traffickers. That's what they'd be called in today's culture. He got sold in the traffic ring. And the Midianite traders were heading down to Egypt. And Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt. 
and he ended up in Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar was someone that was in the court of Pharaoh, so he was a very high official. Um, he became a slave in Egypt. The next one is he found favor with Potiphar. So even though he was a slave, he worked his way up. He was diligent in all that he did, and his slavery found him uh, in charge of Potiphar's house. And then he got accused by Potiphar's wife of something that Joseph would never do. Potiphar's wife said that Joseph raped her. Now what really happened, what had happened was she was trying to seduce Joseph, and Joseph said no, and he ran away. And because he said no, and Joseph was good-looking. The Bible tells us he was really hot. That's what the Bible says. Potiphar's wife, that, that, that's my translation of it. It says he, he looked good, and his frame was good. Joseph, you're going to see in heaven, he's one of the good-looking ones, you know. He'll stand out a little bit. That's right. So she tried to seduce him. He said no because he knew that was the wrong thing. And so she accused him of rape. So he gets accused of rape. And then he ends up where? In the prison. So we picked up our story last weekend. He was in the prison. And he interprets two dreams from fellow prisoners. Remember the baker and the butler. And so we talked about that last week. He interpreted the dreams. And... Two more years go by. Now, when we ended the sermon last week, we were kind of hopeful that the butler was going to go and, you know, let Pharaoh know that, hey, you've got a Hebrew down here that interpreted dreams. He, he helped me and he made things right. You need to pull him up out of prison. Joseph was kind of hopeful, but we just read in our opening text that it begins with some very discouraging words. It said, Verse 1, it came to pass at the end of two full years. So Joseph, after helping these two get out of prison, he's waiting every day, every week, every month, every year. 24 long months, two full long years waiting for that jail cell to open and for him to be set free. So two more years in prison. And then finally, one day... He gets the call. Joseph, the interpreter of dreams, gets the call to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So, our text opens with two full years. I wonder what it was like when Joseph left the prison and he walked to the king's court where Pharaoh was. And all of Pharaoh's servants were there, the Bible says. So who was there? You guessed it. The butler. I wonder if when Joseph is walking in, he looks at the butler, pauses a moment, and then continues on his way. Oh, the tension in that room. I, I, I just want to say for a moment that I believe, and I don't know this to be true, but Based on the text that we're about to read, I believe the butler made a simple mistake. He forgot. And it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? It's like when you tell your kids to do the dishes. And, and I want you to do all the dishes. Don't leave any dishes on the counter. And you wake up the next morning and the dishes had been done. But the crock pot is still sitting on the counter with all the queso soaked. Not, you know, like stuck on there. Not that 
Not that Jordan ever does that. But, but I just imagine if that's, you know, what it's like. Just a simple error. It wasn't intentional. I didn't leave the queso just to make you mad. I didn't, I didn't leave the crockpot just because I wanted to really show him who's boss in this house. I, I think that's what the butler did. I think he just, he was so elated that he got out of prison and then three days come and pass and he's restored into his position and, and the baker actually gets hung. The baker loses his head and so he's kind of enamored with all of this things coming to pass and he, he just lost track of time. That's what I believe. That's what I think. Because the truth is, you and I forget stuff all the time. The sin of forgetting. Don't, don't we often forget what God has done? I guarantee you, whatever problem you currently have... No, let me back that up, because I disagree with what just came out of my mouth. I highly suggest... That whatever problem you currently have, you have somehow, somewhere, in some way been through this before. God has somehow proven himself to you in this area. It may not be the exact situation, but if you're currently dealing with a health issue, if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, it's highly likely that God has already proven himself faithful to you before in the area of healing. If you're having financial troubles, it's highly likely that God has already proven himself in the area of finances before. If you're having relationship problems, it's highly likely that God has already proven himself in this area before. But isn't it crazy? We forget. We forget that God had done it before. He can certainly do it again. We forget just what God has done for us. We Forget just like the butler forgot. And I know it's really tempting when we read this story to put ourselves as Joseph and think of all the people who have not remembered us. All the people who have used us as little people on their way to success and they've forgotten about us. But it probably is more accurate to say that you and I are, are the butler. We're the forgetful ones. How many times have we forgotten the men and women, the brothers and sisters that God has placed around us and they're going through something and we've just, we've just forgotten to check up on them. We've forgotten to pick up the phone and call. How many of us have forgotten that God wants to spend time with us? So let's just cut the butler a little bit of slack today. Can we do that? We're not going to flog him today. We're just going to cut him a little bit of slack because I believe that he forgets. And Pharaoh has a dream. Now, two years has passed. It's been a long time since jo Joseph has seen the butler. But Pharaoh has a dream. And he's standing on the river. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, the river. The Bible didn't say a river. It said the river because the river is the only real river in Egypt. The Nile River. The Nile River, arguably the largest river on the planet. Now, I say arguably because uh, there is a con contested claim that the Amazon River is slightly larger. But we're not counting pennies here today. The Nile is at least in the top two. If it's not the largest, it is the second largest river. Um, and it begins just south of the equator 
in Africa, and it travels north and empties into the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I brought a picture today just so that you can get a, a visual of this. I should have confirmed that we had it. Yes. Okay, so this is class, class. Eyes up here, please. Uh, if you look at the bottom of the screen, if you were to go south, you're going to hit much further south, you're going to hit the equator. And the Nile starts beneath the equator and travels north. All right, where you see the green splitting off, it's now turning into rivulets, uh, tributaries, and it's feeding all of this basin right here. And so the Nile and this area, this basin, the plateau there in Egypt, is really known as the breadbasket of the world because there's so much silt that is deposited there. The ground is so fertile that the Nile really helped Egypt. It established Egypt as being a place of prosperity, a place of abundance, a place of provision. And they capitalized on the flooding of the Nile as well. So the Nile would overflow its banks and they would, well, it actually happens every year consistently in Egypt. Uh, regularly, every year, the Nile overflows its banks and they capitalize on this by rerouting the water to different little rivulets. So they'll create new rivulets, rivulets, little rivers off of the main river. They'll create new ones to get it to their cattle, to get it to their crops, to get it where that they need it to go when the water has overrun its banks. And you will see in Egypt, in this area, cows walking into the river neck high. So you'll just see cow heads floating in the river. And they do that for a couple of reasons. One, they want to keep the flies off of them. It helps just keep the flies off of them. Uh, I guess three reasons, because the second one might be they like it. They like the way it feels. Uh, but the third one, so they keep the flies off, they like it. But the third reason that they do that, oh, yes, they uh, are avoiding the heat, the searing heat, the east wind, actually, we'll talk about that the east wind, they're trying to avoid it. Now, the Nile represents three things. I just made this up. This is my interpretation. You can disagree with this. But I think that the Nile represents life, supply, provision, prosperity, because the Nile really makes the ground fertile. All life in Egypt rests on the Nile. Now, that's actually interesting. It's an interesting thought, because if you think of Moses, where he's, was Moses dropped off? In the Nile. That's right. And where was Moses found? In the Nile. It's not a trick question. <laughs> he was dropped off in the Nile. He was found in the Nile. And so the Nile was kind of the gateway for the children of God, the Israelites, to find freedom from captivity in Egypt. So Nile represents breakthrough. Nile represents advancement. So it's not an uncommon sight that you would see cows uh, coming out. And in this dream, there are big fat cows. Big, big fat cows. Big fat cows are healthy, actually. You want your cows to be big and fat. When I have a steak. I don't order, I don't look at the waiter and say, excuse me, sir, can I have my cut of meat from the skinniest cow that you could find? I want the cow to be big and fat. And so that's what Pharaoh saw. He saw fat cows coming out of the water. That's, that's a good sign. 
But then there's skinny cows in his dream. Skinny cows come up and they're ugly, emaciated cows that would never make the cut for a Chick-fil-A advertisement. Never. The ugly cows come up and scripture tells us that the ugly, skinny cows ate the big, plump, fat cows. And after they ate the cows, they didn't enlarge. They just stayed their shape. You, you know people like that. They can eat as much as they want and they just don't change their shape. I, I don't like those people. So Pharaoh awoke from his bad dream. And then he went back to sleep. He woke from the dream of the cows, then he goes back to sleep. And then in this dream, he sees the east wind coming. Now the east wind, there's a phenomenon in the Middle East called the humsen or the southeast wind. About every springtime, it blows through and it heats up everything. Now it's known to increase the temperature by 50 to 70, 50 to 60 degrees in just a few hours. So when the humsen blows in, you could be at 60 degrees and then the humsen blows in and you're at 105, 110. Every spring the humsen comes in. It's not uncommon at all for the crops in Egypt to wither overnight. If the humsen blows in, if the east wind comes in, it it withers overnight, and Pharaoh sees this east wind. He sees scrawny little grains, uh, sheaves of grain, eat up the plump grain, and then he wakes up. Now, he wakes up very concerned, and he understands that these dreams are worrisome, troublesome. We read in verse 8. Let's read that together. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who can interpret them for Pharaoh. So there was something telling Pharaoh that his dreams weren't right. Now, this brings me to my first point. The first thing I want us to understand about advancement. Just like in verse 8, it says his spirit was troubled. Have you ever... Have you ever had an experience where you just knew something didn't feel right? You couldn't put your finger on it. I don't know, I don't know what it is about him or her or them or it. I don't know what it is, but something just doesn't feel right. Has that ever happened to anyone else in the room? Yeah, yeah. And, and so you're not sure. There's this unsettled thing. Like you don't know if, and, and I hate this. I hate when this happens. It's like, is it just me? Am I just being too critical? Am I just looking for problems in this person? Am I just insecure? Oh, that's another one that the enemy loves to use to get you off your discernment game. Rather than zeroing in on the discernment that Holy Spirit's bringing to you, he'll just try to tell you, well, you've had wrong thoughts about that before. You were wrong before. Oh, you're overreacting. Oh, you're insecure. Oh, the enemy loves to gaslight the saints. As if it's your problem rather than it's God speaking to you and trying to give you an awareness of a situation that you don't quite have all the details yet, but Holy Spirit is already in tomorrow. He's already in the outcome of the situation. So you feel this unsettledness 
And the first step to advancement that we've got to learn is to listen to our spirit man. Listen to your spirit man. Pharaoh did. His spirit was troubled. He knew something wasn't right. And no one could interpret his dreams, by the way, because God owns the interpretations. The interpretations belong to the Lord. And he didn't want the magicians to have the interpretation, so God didn't release it. It's interesting. I know today we all try to interpret dreams based on a Google, sh- Google search, right? <laughs> we try to find out what everything means or what, it, you know. By the way, let me just do a PSA real quick, public service announcement. You have to be careful what you Google when you're trying to find answers about Jesus and Holy Spirit, spirituality and discernment and insight. Google has 99 billion answers for everything, but probably not the one Holy Spirit is trying to get to you. And so we have to learn to shut down the faucet of civilization so that we can open up the faucet of revelation. Yeah. So when you're searching for interpretations, make sure that you're going to Holy Spirit first. Magicians couldn't interpret it. He wanted Joseph to interpret it. Verse 9, let's continue to read on. We're going to get through all of chapter 41. Can you believe it? I have 10, I have enough time to get through all of 41. So you can say that you've read an entire chapter this week. Verse 9, then the chief butler spoke, chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, oh my gosh, I remember, I just, I forgot, oy vey. Like he's, he just had this like, oh no, he heard about the dream and it all came back. Now, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he forgot, but y'all really, come on. Why didn't you remember on day one or day two or day three? Like it's taken you two years. But now you remember. Now you remember. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker... We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. So this guy is now preaching the sermon I preached last week to Pharaoh. So he's getting Pharaoh caught up to speed. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream, verse 13. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. So two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. It reminds the butler of the dream interpreter, He tells Pharaoh that the interpreter was spot on. So Pharaoh says, go get Joseph. Joseph, before he goes to see Pharaoh, what does he do? He shaves and he puts on new clothes. And then he stands before Pharaoh. Now, let's pause the story for a moment because I have a what if question for you. What if the story had been different? What if the butler had highlighted the Hebrew one day, two days, three days after 
he got out. What if when the baker was hanged, the butler remembered? And then he told Pharaoh about it, and Joseph was let out of prison. And then maybe Joseph, maybe, I don't know, maybe Joseph would have gone on back home to Canaan. Or maybe he would have decided to explore Egypt. Maybe he would decide to sail down the Nile for a little bit, go swim with the crocodiles, go hang out with the cows. Like, we don't know what would have happened, but I'm just, I'm asking us, what if? Where would Joseph not be? If he had gotten out two years ago, where would Joseph not be right now? I heard... He would not have been in the dungeon. He would not have been in prison, right? Then, if he had not been in prison, maybe the butler would remember now and he would say, oh, remember that Hebrew from two years ago? Well, we don't know where he went. Maybe he went back to Canaan. Oh, well. Maybe he went exploring Egypt. Stinks for us, he's gone. Like, what if Joseph had not waited out the two years? Because the truth is, God chose to leave Joseph in the dungeon, even though it was difficult. Even though it was discouraging, because God had a plan so that when it was time to raise Joseph to prominence, they would know exactly where to find him. Where's Joseph? Oh, he's in prison. He hasn't gone anywhere. We know exactly where to find him. And God has a purpose for Joseph far greater than simply getting him out of prison. Hold on. God's plan for your life is far bigger. It's it's far bigger than just ending the problem you currently have. God's plan for your life doesn't always look like an open door. Sometimes it looks like a closed one. Sometimes God's plan for your life feels and smells like a dungeon. Because his timing is perfect. And if we'll just sit it out for a while rather than trying to force the door open. I, I saw something on social media. Nope, I'm not going to share that. Because I'm not going to do that. Not every open door is a sign from God to walk through it. Everything I want to share on social media, that, that's what I just said with wisdom. I have, I have some concerns for someone, and so I wanted to share that with you. Not every open door means I go. In your notes, it says, don't walk through every open door and don't beat down every closed one. Sometimes a closed door is God protecting you. Sometimes a closed door is God just saying, I want that for you too, but just not yet. If I try to give something to you now, you won't know how to steward it and it will be squandered, but wait, just a li- you'll be ready in six months. You'll be ready in six years. Whatever the case may be, sometimes a closed door is God speaking so clearly to us. 
we smell the dungeon. We smell where we are and where we've been, and we're sick of being in this place. We just are ready for the jail cell to open. And they knew exactly where to find Joseph at just the right time. Staying in the dungeon, by the way, kept Joseph findable. So that's point number three, stay findable. One of the greatest quotes, I don't know who said this. I use it all the time as if I made it up. It's a great quote. Great quote. You can make a blessing if you want to. But if you make a blessing, you're going to miss a blessing. And the one you miss will be greater than the one you make. Isn't it? I thought of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the bishop, T.D. Jakes, said that. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant truth that has played itself out over and over and over in my life. We, we have to be careful that in our, in our zealousness for God, we don't force the door open. We don't force a blessing. We don't force the next step. We wait for God to move us there. Stay findable. What does that mean, Trey? Just stay in the last place that God placed you. You feel like you got to make something happen. You feel like you got to go somewhere, do something. You feel like you got to, like, you know, you got to just get up and drive. Fine. Fine. But did God tell you? And if you're uncertain, let's stay findable. Go back to the last place that you were certain God told you to be. The last place that God certainly told you to be was present in your marriage. Being a good parent, serving the house of the Lord, working hard, paying taxes, paying your bills on time. Like wh wherever the confusion is, go ahead and, you, you know, like Hansel and Gretel. I hope I'm getting this story right. They're walking through the forest and they have popcorn. At least all the books I read have popcorn. And they throw popcorn on the trail, right, because they want to find their way back in case something goes wrong. Now, the story doesn't end the way I'm about to tell it, uh, but let's just pretend that they get to the house and they find out it's not safe, and then they run back, and on the way home, they get a snack. Every time, they see a piece of popcorn, and it gives them more fuel to get home. Those, those little trails, those little God nuggets are ways that we can find our way back home and when we feel lost go back to the last place you saw him leave a note for you get back to the last place you felt that peace the last place you got that confidence stay findable stay findable staying findable is actually pretty important we do this in our homes when our kids were little, we had an emergency meeting place. And we would tell our kids, if our house ever catches fire, and I'm a four, so I'm descriptive. So when my kids are little, like kindergarten, I'm like, if ever we forget to turn the stove off and a little flame flickers and it jumps off the counter and onto the carpet and it runs straight to your room with massive flames beating on your door. My kids are crying, tears crying down there. If you ever find yourself in a situation where we have a fire, we established a meeting place. We're going to meet across the road at the neighbor's mailbox. And 
You know, don't come try to find me. I'm going to try to find you, but you don't try to find your brother or your sister. Don't try to save the dog or the cat or the turtle or the fish or the African millipede. Don't do any of that. Get outside of the window and get to our meeting spot. Do you know why? To stay findable. Because when you don't stay findable, people die. If you're out of the house and I don't know you're out of the house, I'm going to go back in the burning building because I'm not going to let my child die in there. And if I can't find you, if you're not findable, I may lose my life looking for you when you're already safe. You want advancement, stay findable. Genesis 41, verse 14. The Pharaoh, let's just read that again, that one verse. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. I, I love that the word says, quickly. It happened quickly. Look at your neighbor and say, that was fast. Quickly. Sometimes God does things slowly over time, over a period of time. But sometimes your next level comes suddenly. I like when it's fast. I like when it's suddenly. I like when there is like breakthrough immediately. I, I like when I pray and answer. I pray for something and God just answers immediately. In, in fact, I got to give a quick praise report. Is that all right? Um, I'm hot too, so I'm going to take my jacket off. This has nothing to do with the praise report. Jenny Everts, actually, she's back there uh, holding a sweet baby. And I, I can't, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm already over time, so I'm just going to tell you real quickly. Like, was this several weeks ago? Jenny, just correct me as a, if I'm wrong. If I make the miracle smaller than what God actually did for you, because he did a, an amazing doctor verifiable miracle. She came in to first impressions, I guess, the huddle, and she was hurting. Her hip was hurting. Uh, she was in tremendous pain. And first impressions, they prayed for her. Now, I don't know if you've heard word on the street. That's the place to be. First impressions huddle because people are physically getting healed almost every Sunday. And uh, this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, she's got to leave, so now the story's going to get better. <laughs> and uh, a couple weeks ago, Carrie, correct me if I'm wrong. So in a lot of pain, they prayed for her and... Within the day, her pain subsided, like totally gone. And it was excruciating pain. She ended up going back to the doctor. They had taken x-rays prior, went back to the doctor. He called her in. They took new x-rays after prayer on Sunday. And he came out puzzled and confused. He's a believer. And he was like, um, so something's happened. And she said, well, we prayed on Sunday. And he goes, that's it. That's what happened. The first x-ray showed a tilt in the pelvis and the alignment of all this area. And then the second x-ray, from whenever she had no more pain, it is completely stabilized up where it needs to be. And nothing, she was actually at the chiropractor. He was expecting to have to adjust her, but God beat him to it. Amen. And guess what? It happened suddenly. I love suddenlies. I, I don't mind 
I don't mind staying in the dungeon for two years. I really don't. I, I am faithful in the dungeon. I will suffer through it. I'm a four. I'm not afraid of suffering. But man, I love the suddenlies. And in Scripture, there are a lot of suddenlies. I mean, 2 Chronicles 29, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had done because it came about suddenly. We know in Acts chapter 2 that there was something that came suddenly, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. We know in Revelation and 1 Corinthians that in the end of days, our body is going to be transformed from the mortal to immortal in the twinkling of an eye. What does that mean? Suddenly. There are a lot of sudden things that are going to happen. And I, I think I know why I like suddenlies. The reason suddenlies hold so much power is because they're rooted in our seasons of waiting. Sudden breakthroughs don't just happen. Teens will look at social media content creators and think, wow, they just suddenly are famous. I guarantee you they weren't suddenly famous. They spent years of cultivating a brand, of trying different things, making themselves get where they wanted to go. It didn't just happen suddenly. No one becomes an overnight success. Now, from our perspective, maybe so, but not to them. It's years of grinding, years of hustling, years of hard work. Sudden breakthroughs don't appear out of thin air. They're the fruit of processes, oftentimes painful, uncomfortable, uncertain processes. Seasons of intercession, seasons of hiddenness, seasons of sacrifice, of preparation, of remaining faithful, seasons of warfare, seasons of obedience, seasons of waiting, waiting. Next line, next fill in. Remember that the suddenlies spring from his hand and our waiting. Where do the suddenlies come from, church? Do suddenlies come from our circumstances? We don't just get a suddenly because, hey, God, now would be a good time. You've done that, right? I, I've done that. Hey, God, if you're going to show up, <laughs> not today. But God isn't moved by my circumstance. Just because it looks like a great time for a miracle doesn't mean it's God's time for a miracle. Hmm. How many believers have been discouraged because they thought that God missed the window. God didn't miss no window. God created the window. We get us suddenly when God says the time is right. It springs from his hand, not from our circumstances. It also springs from our waiting. Genesis 41, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. He's telling Joseph all about the dream. There's no one that can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. I love what Joseph says here in verse 16. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me 
God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. It's not in me. Like, don't look to me. I don't want to be your savior. It's not about me. Isn't this a different Joseph than the Joseph at age 17? Hey, bros. Hey, guess what? Y'all going to bow down to me. You too, mom, dad. Right. This is, this is now a 30-year-old Joseph that says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't look to me. I'm just, I'm just a servant. This all comes from God. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Okay, listen. These are the dreams. This is the interpretation. So you want to practice your interpretation skills? Check this out. This is what the dreams mean. The fat cows, the skinny cows. The fat cows get eaten by the skinny cows. The plump grain gets eaten by the wimpy grain. This is what it means. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted, scorched by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. To do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come through all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famines will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice. I think I just said that. Because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. So God confirms the dream twice to Pharaoh because he wants to establish it. Now, Joseph understands something in Genesis 41 that we actually don't learn about until Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 16. And that says that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. So Joseph is letting Pharaoh know, you, you dreamed this twice. It's, it looks like two dreams, but they're actually one dream. And God is just trying to tell you something supernaturally. He's trying to establish it with confirmation. God is confirming it. So if God is going to tell you something supernaturally, Stephen, he will bring confirmation. If God is wanting to tell you to move your family, I love what, what Carrie said, how sometimes people move. And we, we send people, we celebrate when people leave. We just want people to hear from God. We ain't trying to hold on to everybody. There are some people we want to leave. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. None of you. I forgot, I forgot where I was going with that because I just spoke out of turn. Where was I going, babe, before I just stuck my foot in my mouth? Do you know? Oh, yeah. No, it didn't help. I'm sorry. No, but that's such a good point as well. That's very good. I think... Just get, throw out more good stuff. More good. Come on, church. This is, 
Oh, yeah. If God is going to tell you something supernaturally, he will confirm it. That's probably what all of you said. I tried to tell that preacher that, but he wasn't listening. No, I was in a panic up here. You try speaking to people and forget your train of thought. I didn't hear a word any of you said, actually. I was just like, nope, that's not right. God will confirm what he's telling you to do. So if, if you are moving your family, make sure it's just not a dream from pizza. Make sure it's not just because you're unhappy with your boss. There's unhealed trauma and conflict that God is calling you to have a hard conversation, but you think God is actually sending you somewhere else. Just make sure God is, is confirming it. And, and here's another helpful tip. The more people that are affected by your decision, the more confirmation you should be willing to accept. The more fallout from your decision, you should be looking for lots and lots of confirmation. That, that's no indication of your faith. It's not you not trusting God. It's not an, an indication of unbelief because you're asking God for more confirmation. In fact, I think, I think it's more faith. God will establish it by the witnesses out of the mouth of two or three witnesses will a thing be established. Genesis 41, 33. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. And in the eyes of all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Will you stand to your feet? The first half of Genesis 41, we just found out what the dreams meant, what was about to happen. The last few verses of chapter 41, we get into it's a critical shift in what the author is trying to communicate. No longer do we care what is about to happen. We're trying to, to discover who's worthy to lead the charge. Where do we go from here? In other words, Pharaoh knew that there were coming seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. It's like he had a map. If he was going from point A to point B, he had the map. He could look at it. He, he would know there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. But so what? Like we learned that from the dream. Where do we go now? So we need something beyond the map. So Joseph has this idea. And he said, what you need is someone with discernment, someone that is wise to help lead the charge. And Pharaoh leans in and says, I like this guy. I think you are the one. A couple years ago, no, one year ago, no, seven months ago, no, one year ago. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Whenever Michaela just found out she was pregnant with Luca, so I don't know, figure that out. He's five months plus nine months. Figure that out. We went white water rafting in West Virginia, Mountain Mama, where I belong. I don't know. It's a good song. We listened to it the whole way we were driving to West Virginia. West Virginia is beautiful. And we went to New River Gorge and uh, we, we got in this raft and it was like legit 
white water rafting. It had recently rained, so we got to go uh, on the New River Gorge, a, a part that's not normally open um, for the, the guide that was taking us. But since they had a gully washer, we got to go down this. And he said, this is more intense, but y'all can do it. We can do it. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, we can do it. So we had on our, our helmet and we had our oars. Is that what you call them? Oars? And we're sitting in there, and oh man, I've got pictures to prove how brave I was. And it was it was intense, and it was good. But as we were driving to the place, you could see the rapids, and you could see the layout of the river. Now, I had an idea of where the river headed, but but this guy, we paid him to be our guide. So he sat in the raft with us. And the benefit of having the guide was that he had, he had gone down that road enough, that trail enough, that he knew where the big boulders were, even though it changed, he had, he'd ridden it often. And he would know that when we come over this and we crest this, we need to go hard left. Because if we don't go hard left, we're going to get sucked into the cyclone. I'm not using any of the right words, and I don't care, but you get the point. And we're going to like crash and smash into a rock. And, and people have died on this, this route. And so the guide, he's sitting on the back of, of the raft. And whew, you feel, I'm feeling my adrenaline right now just thinking about it again. And, and he would say, okay, rapids are coming. This is a class whatever, class two, class three, class four, whatever it is. And then he would say, all right, go. And as soon as he'd say, go, you would just start paddling as hard as you could and, hard, and you're digging your knee into the raft so you don't fall out and then at some point you're almost hitting the boulder and he says get down and everybody throws their body into the bottom of the raft so no one falls out and then you get back up and he's go right and you go right you go right go left you go left and it's amazing but you know I could not have known to do all of those things just by looking at the map This is exactly what Pharaoh needed. He knew what the dreams were saying, but he needed someone to walk him through it. So my last point to you, don't hunt for the map. Find the guide. We get so concerned with what's happening next that we forget our number one priority is to lean into Jesus. Just get to know Holy Spirit. Spend more time with him. Because when the guide is in your raft, he'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Father, we come before you today. God, I, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for the life of Joseph that we can look back on and we can learn so many things, life applicable things that bring life to our body. God, I ask that over this coming week, God, that you would just continue to confirm this word to us with two or three or more witnesses. God, let us notice throughout the week these steps in action. God, let us, let us notice that we're finding ourselves at peace in the dungeon. Not apathetic. We've not given up. We're not... We're not laying down, not fighting. We're just at peace. We're finding a place of peace with you. God, I thank you that advancement is coming our way. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
I want to just send you to Chewy's. <laughs> but before I do, the service wouldn't be complete unless I give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online, and this is your moment to say yes to Jesus. It's your moment to come home. Being a Christian, being a believer, being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you have to make all the changes and you have to be perfect. God God works that out in us. We just say yes, that we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was placed in a grave and on the third day he rose again. We believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe that there is no other way to heaven or to the father but through Jesus Christ. You can't earn your way there. You can't zen your way there. You can't be good enough. It's only through Jesus. So if you're in the room, in fact, just for a moment of privacy, will you just close your eyes one more time? If you're in the room, you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just wave your hand up at me really high so I can see. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? You're ready to thank you for that hand. Anyone else? All right, if you're watching online and you want to say yes to Jesus, you can join the three people in the room that have made the decision to follow Jesus today. If that's you, you're watching online, go ahead and lift your hand. Do something as an act of faith. And then say this prayer with me. Church, say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that I can't earn my way to heaven. And I choose this day to lay down my life, to surrender to you, to repent of my sin, to stop trusting in myself and placing my trust in you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was murdered on a tree, carrying the weight of my sin. He was placed in a grave and raised himself on day three. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you just said yes to Jesus, please take a moment to scan the QR code up on the screen, or you can scan that at the info desk today as you exit church. Can we celebrate the decisions made for Jesus today? That's what it's all about. Awesome. All right, well, I am looking forward to seeing all of Team Exchange this Wednesday, 6 to 7. It is Team Night, where we're going to talk leadership development. Maybe you don't serve. It's okay. Do you run a business? Do you just want to grow in leadership? Show up. Anybody is welcome, 6 p.m. Take what you received in here. Give it to someone out there. We love you guys. Have a blessed week.